Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a f***ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f***ing houses for f***ing years. All right, so welcome along to the best of 2020. Uh, probably a year we could forget um, Connor, if we're being honest, but we're going to do the best of anyways and look back on it fondly. Connor, are we capable of looking back on it fondly? I think so. We dig in too much into detail about the old matches we watched back in, in March and April. I think we, after that, I think we had plenty, uh, plenty of stuff to talk about, including some good stuff as well, even though it wasn't up here. Yeah, well, look, I mean, this year, let's just talk about this year first, because this year, before we get into the best of, because it's, I was going to say Happy New Year to you, but like, I mean, it hasn't been a very Happy New Year. We're looking at David Clark gone, Donald Vaughan gone, Tom Parsons gone, Seamus O'Shea gone. The list could go on and on. I'm, I'm thinking maybe seven or eight could be jumping off the ship here, Connor. Yeah, I was about to say that that sound you can hear in the background, Willie, is a, is a Mayo player furiously typing his retirement statement as we speak. <laughs> by the time by the time this goes out, there could be there could be five or six. It even it nearly seems I I, I doubt this, but it nearly seems like it's coordinated that they do a day apiece and that they, they can nearly wallow in all the um you know the tributes that are going to be poured their way sent their way every day. But like when when. when then none of them are, you know, individually, none of them are surprised, but it's nearly like a domino effect now. And you think that whether it's their own decision, which I imagine it was, but maybe they've also chatted to James Horan and he's very clear on the new direction he wants to go in. And it doesn't involve a lot of the the old stalwarts that have served, served Mayo so well for the last couple of years. So while there's been four already, I don't think it's going to stop at four, Willie. I think you could, I think you mentioned seven there. I think, I think that could be right by the time that, uh, that Mayo are ready to go again this year. Yeah, Seamus O'Shea and Donald Vaughan were very obvious ones. They had been kind of frozen out. They didn't get any real game time. Didn't get any game time, I'm fairly sure, this year. David Clark was starter. He That was probably more surprising. And Tom Parsons got on the field. So, ah, look, I suppose in their head, psychologically, you know, after the year that was in it, they got to the All-Ireland again, they lost it again. Now to see, 
you know, they're moving in another direction. It seems like a natural end for all of them, if we're being honest. Like, I mean, and that, to be fair, in another year, this would be a big shock for Mayo. And funnily enough, it's not a big shock because the great work James Horn has done this year has kind of, you know, almost uh, prepared Mayo people and the squad for this, which was always going to happen. Yeah, I mean, look, we've been talking about this since the first championship game. I mean, there was huge shock. Let's say when when none of them, when none of like Colin Boyle, Keith Higgins, uh, any of the lads you mentioned there, Tom Parsons, Owen Vaughan, Shamey O'Shea, um, weren't involved at the start. But we gradually, I'd say, by the time the All Ireland semi final came around, we we came to the realization that like, well, this is this is the direction. It's not as if he's been sparing them or anything or saving them for the big game. This is the direction that James Horn is 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 going to go. Um, so it's not as if it's not as if they like any of the retirements are a surprise. But I suppose my own, my only thing on it, Willie, is that like while none of them obviously were were involved in the, are not many of the many were involved in the um, in the playing squads for 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 the league and the championship, is that the, I'm sure they've had an absolutely massive impact even this year behind the scenes, and that like losing so many of them, so much of them at once. I'd just be afraid of the impact that that might have on the kind of the culture in the Mayo dressing room and the standards that that that, that they've set so far, because all four of them have been huge drivers in in kind of the culture and uh, and and making Mayo reach the level that they've gotten the last few years. So obviously, the the players that have served under them and and it's up to maybe the the, the lads in their mid twenties now to step up and to become their leaders, and they, they would have learned off them in the last couple of years. But I just hope that not having these lads around the dressing room. Joe isn't going to lead to to any sort of complacency or any sort of drop in standards because, as I said, they they would have been huge drivers of that for the last yeah. decade, basically. Yeah, uh, well, I think Aidan O'Shea, Killian O'Connor, Lee Keegan and these fellas are of similar kind of uh, stature as those yeah. fellas, but they'll still be able to drive it. A couple of three retirements in Kerry, Shane Enright probably being the big one um, in that, and Stephen MacDonald, uh, Cork, Hurler has retired as well. So it's definitely the season for retirements. They're the ones I saw anyways. Right. This is a best of 2020 uh, shows, Connor. So we'll get straight into it. And um, a big part of last year was obviously lockdowns. The first one came in March um, and it was a disaster because we had no sport. And we thought that we might all die probably when we were back in last March. Everyone was in a big worry and we were furiously washing our hands. And that was the whole story. And we had to make up shows by analysing old All-Irelands. Um, and then after those shows, we did some tribute shows and they, they, they went down really well. We started off our first tribute show with our own JJ Delaney. Um, Brian Cody joined the call. Um, it's not often you get Brian Cody in great form, but I think his love of JJ Delaney um, kind of brought out the best in him. Well, I would always say that I've never seen a better defender than JJ. And I think it was fairly... Um, the same opinion would have been there within our panel the whole time with all the players. Like, I mean, it would always be it's just been way up there. I mean, for me, he just was the ultimate defender because, I mean, you can talk about hurlers and players and attackers and defenders, but it was a phenomenal um, art of defending that maybe sometimes forgotten about completely and players can stand out and play magnificent games, maybe do a few lovely things, maybe pop over a couple of pints even, but I mean, maybe they're not, the actual defensive part of their game is not as it should be. But JJ just guaranteed that every single time. His ability to kind of, his ability to defend was absolutely everything. He 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 could. Um, his anticipation was perfect. He had a brilliant hand, superb in the sky. Uh, brilliant ability to stop players winning ball in the sky. His one thing that probably stood out for him was if he weren't first to the ball, his ability to just get in a flick on a ball. Yeah. Um, 
touch to flick the ball away to deny the man possession of the ball I mean every forward wants instant possession of the ball but JJ had an uncanny ability to deny the forward instant possession of the ball which gave him the advantage of us and he also had that kind of um, I wouldn't say a mean streak but I could have won it I suppose <laughs> he was totally totally fearless and he he could play on whatever terms to get has to be played on he was well capable of doing it Brian I'm slagging him about only scoring one point in 66 performances what's your thoughts on that? To be honest, I'm surprised he scored one pint. <laughs> that's a good friend as well, right? <laughs> no, it wouldn't have been. JJ wasn't one of these flamboyant players. I mean, that, that's probably what made him so outstanding. He wasn't flamboyant. He was totally efficient. Um, it was never a question of thinking about, I'll do something magical, I'll do something that. His main priority at all times, like his more said, was he was to defend. He, he was a defender, denied a man possession, win the ball, get it back, get the team on the attack and he's I mean, that, that's the player he was and I'm, I'm, I can't remember that point even I'd love to have a think about games <laughs> he, he was telling us here that it was against Offaly in a Moore Park and if there was a Hawkeye in a Moore Park he might not really even have gotten that point <laughs> <laughs> it's probably, it was probably a Welsh Cup game I'd imagine if there was no pressure a championship game worry so nice we were in trouble at the time <laughs> I can imagine yeah a rallying yeah. score yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a rally Rallying score, uh, JJ Cody says, um, Connor. Like, I mean, it's not often you hear Cody kind of laughing. It almost kind of, like, you can just tell how much he loves JJ. And like, I mean, I'd never get Brian Cody on the show. It's impossible to get Brian Cody outside of a media day. And on a media day, you would never hear him laughing. I'm guarantee you. I can guarantee you that. But when he's on the line and he's asked to do a tribute show for JJ Delaney, he's more than happy to do it. And I think we saw a different side of Brian Cody in that in that interview. It's really nice to hear him kind of so affable. It's not as if he's uh, confrontational or in uh, in interviews or unless he's not unless you get him in the wrong mood. But uh, it's it's rare that you see that side of Brian Cody, and especially you haven't haven't seen him for you know he's been around for so long that it, what's rare is wonderful, I suppose. But I think teacher's pet is probably going a bit too far, maybe. But there's definitely um, there's definitely loads of admiration there between them, and and it's interesting because like like you're reading a couple of the the Kilkenny players' books in the last couple of years, for example. Uh, Henry Shefflin, who's like the greatest of all time, there was even, you know, you definitely detected some tension in their relationship, and and Jackie Tyrrell is another one who's 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 the who's from the same club as Brian Cody, and and he even like spoke at length about how kind of um you know the relationship between them and how you know it was fraught with maybe with, with tension every now and again. So I think JJ Delaney is a little bit different, and of the current crop, I would say, or the more recent crop, I'd say Richie Hogan. I get that impression that he's he's kind of similar as well, but. Uh, but it's rare. It's rare enough uh, that you hear Brian Brian talking like that, and it's all the better for it. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I think Henry and Jackie's problem is that they might have stayed one year too many, and they ended up getting not making the team. And there's tension there. JJ, of course, left after an All Ireland win in 2014 when he was still, you know, he won an All Star that year. So he never had any issues with Brian Cody, you know, kind of having to phase him out. So that's probably why their mutual um, love um, is still there. Another tribute show um, was to Mead legend Trevor Giles, um, one of my favourite players, but the only player to win Player of the Year twice, actually, um, Connor. You'll have great memories from 1996 um, when Trevor Giles burst onto the, well, he burst onto the scene, I think, in 1994 or five. Anyways, I, I obviously um, had to ask him about him cutting off, his, cutting off his jerseys into the Aussie rules style. So here he is explaining. 
night before the Lancer final, Ali Murphy said to me, God, it'd be, be great if we'd sleeve this jerseys for the game tomorrow against Dublin, just for the, the crack, you know. And uh, just set me mind thinking and I went home and <laughs> she'd have a load of number 11 jerseys at home in the bag and I, I just cut the sleeves off and I said, I'll go with that. And that was it. Right. Well, you didn't you didn't use your own jersey the next day or did you cut one off the new jerseys that you'd get for that Leinster final? Yeah, that's it. You know, you'd get a jersey every game, you know, so I had a, a number of key pack Bank of Ireland number 11s, you know, so uh, right. yeah, it was just one I'd worn probably the, the previous day, the semi-final and uh, cut the sleeves off and then uh, I didn't stick the jersey onto me until we were running out the tunnels and so hoping <laughs> to see and uh, I suppose um, it was very unlike me, you know, that wasn't my, my style at all to, to stand out. Um but I thought, see, I had in my head maybe you're in the in the toilets cutting the jersey before the game and all this kind of thing. But like, I mean, would would it have been a distraction for the final to be, you know, hiding the jersey in your bag and not putting it on before the match? Do you know? No, you you know yourself. Sometimes you'd be warming up in the in the dressing room in the club park. You mightn't have your jersey on. It'd be warm. It'd be hot. You know. So yeah, yeah. We need to stick the jersey on on before you go out. You know. Um, but I spent a few minutes at home the previous night, the Saturday night. Didn't make a brilliant job of it when, when I when I didn't <laughs> handy work. But yeah, you left um, a bit of yellow. Left a bit of yellow or a kind of a band of yellow after the green, didn't you? Yeah, I didn't get any calls from Louis Copeland subsequently <laughs> um, asking me to to join him, but. Uh, yeah, um, I suppose it was just very unlike me, you know, but I suppose the way I look at it, I was coming back from cruciate ligament injury and I'd worked really, really hard. Like I was putting in maybe four hours a day rehabilitation. I really wanted to get back playing and uh, I'd missed the game. And I was hungry, you know, and yeah. I suppose I just felt that year, I have a load of work done here. I have more work done than any player in Ireland. You know, I've, I've worked harder, I've put more into it and confidence was high. And I suppose I... I felt just in that season, I, I can do this, that I can actually wear this jersey and still play really well, you know. So I'm not saying I had that confidence every year, but just that was my me, me mindset um, at the time. Like Trevor Jealous says twice in, in that uh, clip there that it's, it's not like me. It wasn't like me. I think he said it twice in that clip. He definitely said it twice in the interview. And he couldn't have said it any clearer. This was just completely not a Trevor Giles thing to do. This was a bit of a showman thing to do, which he absolutely wasn't. Like he was just an absolutely brilliant player. And I, I don't I don't care what anybody says. There is no way that you hiding a jersey in your bag, not putting it on until the tunnel so that your manager can't see it and go out in the field. There is no way that couldn't be a distraction to you going out in the field and he wins player of the year. Obviously you didn't bother Trevor, Trevor Giles, <laughs> Willie, do you know? But that, that's what I was thinking as well, is that like he... Uh, like so, Trevor Giles was a was a classy, classy centre forward, and you know, like there are some centre forwards who are classy as well, who are shapers. You know, shapers is the word I'm reaching for into the bargain, but he definitely wasn't. Like if I could, if I could think of anyone like that might be a shaper from that Mead team, maybe Graham Garrity, but but definitely not. Trevor. Ah, he was not a shaper. Uh, I won't accept. Him. Well, okay, well maybe not, maybe not, but maybe more, maybe more of one than than, than Trevor Giles. But like in fairness to him, it wasn't as if like it was a fairly crude cut. Do you know, like it wasn't as if it did. Uh, it wasn't the height of fashion the way the way he cut the sleeve. So I don't think, I don't think it was a fashion statement. And 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 in fairness to him as well, like Trevor Giles was no weakling, but you know some people might have done it maybe to to show off their, <laughs> yeah. their their biceps, whatever. Like he was no weakling, but they weren't exactly bulging out either. So I don't think it, it was it was him trying to do that either. But uh, but listen, it did that 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 the 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 lens that he went to kind of nearly came as a surprise, but. 
but he was obviously so mentally kind of um, sure of himself that it, that it was never going to bother him, and it obviously didn't. Yeah, and uh, Sean Boylan forbid him from doing it for the final. The county board were getting fined for it and all sorts of stuff, and he he stuck to his guns and wore for the final. I'm just thinking with his kind of milk bottle uh, coloured skin and his lack of muscles, and I'm thinking the man that should have been doing that was Colin McManaman back in '96. Yeah. Like he's that 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 tank. His body is built to be doing stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And like the, the real shame for Colin McManaman is that he played in an era before player fit. So the player fit jersey. So I think you'll remember it. Was it Armagh or Kildare that um that uh, that purposely got oh, Armagh started that, like yeah. that yeah, to, to to show off their biceps, whereas Colin McManaman's uh, biceps were shown through a jersey that was that was hanging off most people. He was that he was that much uh, his guns were his guns were that much in shape, but uh, yeah, what what a what a player as well. Not maybe not quite as classy as Trevor Giles, but uh, but uh, a, 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 an all round very good at number eleven as well. Yeah, I think that's putting it mildly. Not as classy as Trevor Giles. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right. So last of the lockdown tribute shows. Now this one was from one of my favorite players in hurling and football, Brian Corcoran. Really enjoyed this one. Like Brian Brian Corcoran's absolute hatred for playing cornerback in football. It just kind of made me laugh. I don't think it's in this clip, but if you want to listen back to it, it's a really good um, tribute show. Anyway, here he is describing how his comeback in 2004 came about. So there's one man in Cork people have to thank. Back in 2003, Donald O'Grady had taken over and he rang me uh, to know whether I'd whether come back. And I, kind of, I told him I wouldn't come back and thank them for, for the offer. But, uh, but I, was, I was done and, and I was finished. And what triggered and, uh, you? What triggered you to change your mind then? Yeah, it's it's funny because uh, the Cork uh, got to the All Ireland in 2003 against Kilkenny, and I was sitting in the upper deck of the the Hogan, and I was I was happy to be there. I was comfortable to be there. I was, you know, you know, you, you, sometimes it's not really until the big day whether you, when you realise, oh, have I made a mistake here? But I was. I was quite happy sitting up and up in the stand, um, because you know, not saying I wouldn't have liked to have been down there, but when you when you think of the nine works of hard, nine months of hard work it would take to have gotten there, yeah, uh, I wouldn't have so I wouldn't have swapped it. So I was I was happy in in sitting in the stand. Cork lost the game. Um, I went back out to uh, City West just to give my condolences to the team. Uh, I actually parked out there and I got the bus in, so I waited for the team and uh, you know I was I was. Just about head home, so I kind of spoke to some of the players and uh, walked walked out the door, and I was just about to get into my car to drive back to Cork. And Tom Barry, who was um, great Corkman living in Dublin, was organ- he, he was the organizer of the uh, of the uh, the social event that evening, and he came back out and he followed me out and he said, "Would you would you like to come into the to the social?" And I said, uh, "Like I was wearing a jersey and I didn't have any other clothes with me," and. Uh, I said, I've only got a jersey on me. And he said, oh, who cares? Come on in. So he brought me in and uh, I actually ended up sitting with the players and kind of spent the evening with the players. And and uh, the following evening, when they came back in the train, I kind of met them again and went out and uh, it just triggered something. So literally within within 24 hours, um, you know, it kind of triggered uh, something within me in terms of, you know, um, Maybe, maybe there's a spark here somewhere. Um, and after seeing 2003, I was pretty. Don't know what it was, but I just, I, I, in my own mind, I felt Cork were going to win the other in 2004. Um, and then it was kind of okay. Do I do I want to be involved in that? And obviously, there was no guarantees of 
even getting back on the panel and mind getting back on the team. Um, there was a new excitement around there because you know uh, Satanto Halpine was on the team and and uh, you know there was there was a new style and uh, so that was kind of exciting. So um, I kind of made my own mind up that uh, I'd start training again. Okay, so Tom Barry, I'd never heard of Tom Barry before. So Brian Corcoran's out in, in the car park with his Cork jersey on after watching Cork lose. And Tom Barry follows him out and talks him into coming back into the to the function. Brian Corcoran connects with a lot of these young players that have come through. They have a point. He meets them again the next night and the rest of the history. Two All-Irelands um, later with Brian Corcoran at full forward. Tom Barry, take a bow. Yeah, and I, if you Google Tom Barry, you'll be you'll be finding uh, information about a very different Tom Barry. Let's just say, but uh, <laughs> right. but um, no, but like like fair play to Tom Barry is right, Willie. But I just think from from listening back to Brian mention it there, I just wonder. He sounds to me like he was fairly easily persuaded anyway. So ah, yeah. like, he went back to he went to the banquet and then uh, he went on the beer with the Cork lads on uh, on the Monday and then he reckons that by the end of those two days that that he was ready to go and listen fair play to him because the vast majority of promises that are made after two days of the beer are never followed up on so so fair play, fair play <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair, that is a very fair point that's a very, I'll ring you tomorrow I'll ring you during the week um, okay one of the more left field interviews we did this year was with uh, normal people actor Paul Meskel. Um, he's not just a normal people actor. He's an actor in lots of things now because he's he's a worldwide fame. But he's obviously a very good GA pedigree as well, playing underage with Kildare. I love normal people. I think that was tr- during the March lockdown, was it? Was yeah, yeah, yeah. around that time? Yeah. Well, I got into it anyway. I remember looking looking up Paul um, on Twitter. Well, I might have been looking up his co star first, but then I <laughs> then, <laughs> then I looked up Paul. But anyways, it turns out Paul Meskel followed me on Twitter, and I was like, "Geez, yeah, that's nice." And uh, so I sent him on a message anyways, and it turns out he's a big fan of the show. Um, a lot of this interview is me being completely out of my depth um, talking about acting stuff, so you can have a listen. I think it's naive to think that like people in secondary schools aren't having sex. I think the important angle of the conversation is that that consent is being discussed amongst like school children. Like, and they're not school, like they're, they're young adults. They just happen to be wearing school uniforms, but I think... Look, it's it's probably something that will take a couple of years to kind of redress the balance. And yeah, if the positive thing is that it is sparking the conversation, like you're seeing, I'm hearing of like parents talking about those themes with their children, and that's a real positive for me from the show. Yeah, it is. With spare a thought for the children who are watching it with their parents, oh, hoping that the scene, Jesus. hoping that the scene ends any, any second. <laughs> and they certainly aren't short, so I do. I, I apologise. <laughs> Kavir, did you audition for the role? Like, would there have been sex scenes in the audition, or you know, how did that come about? Oh Jesus, no, 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 no you wouldn't. Like, you wouldn't be doing that in the audition. But um, but how would they know you, you were able to that out? <laughs> <laughs> no, we we that's a stupid question. We have to do, yeah, it, it, it is a little bit, but I, I I'll take it that uh, acting isn't your forte. <laughs> but uh, no, we have to. Uh, you, we the first couple of auditions, I the first audition I did by myself with the casting director, and then I met Lenny in the second audition, and um, then I did a couple of chemistry reads with potential Marianne in the third and fourth audition. So it was a, it's a long enough process and it's kind of a, it's 
it, it's like a I don't know it's a, it's a highly charged and highly stressful time because you're kind of nothing is guaranteed but you feel like you're making positive steps towards the character and you're not trying to get ahead of yourself but uh, yeah it's a tricky time mentally I suppose I don't know Connor. was that like the most stupid question I still kind of stand by that question a little bit in that you're going in to play a role with a lot of sex scenes in it what if you freeze in the sex scene? Should the sex scene not be part of the audition? Paul thought that was a hilariously stupid question. And I, I'm still kind of scratching my head wondering, how was it? Well, I would have thought it was a, a fairly stupid question, Wooly, before I watched Normal People. And then, <laughs> and then, then you see the level of detail that they go into. <laughs> Without yeah. elaborating, the level of detail that they go into in the sex scenes, they, 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 can't, they leave very little to the imagination. So... I'd be a little on your side there, but I just, I did have, I did have to say it, a good laugh at picturing Paul Meskell going into an audition and being told, here, listen, <laughs> there's got to be a lot of sex scenes, so show us what you got there. <laughs> you know, that, that seems a little bit strange to me, but, uh, but just when you say out of your depth, Wooly, uh, I don't know, I seem to recall you playing a, playing a Saren role in a music video there lately for <laughs> Peter Plunkett's brother's band and, and you were quite good at it, but maybe that was because it was, I think it was someone on the run from the law, so that <laughs> might have been a kind of natural role. <laughs> very, very very good at running away from people, Connor. If you want to throw the law in there, look, I'll just have to have to accept that. The Lost Messiahs video, that was, um, and it was a part two um, as well, Connor. So like I was so good in the very first one with my acting, um, I got killed twice. I got killed in the second episode, in the second song, and in the first one. Anyways, listen, we'll leave it there for part one, and we'll, we'll see you in a minute. Come here, I want you to talk us through the goal you scored in the county final after 15 seconds. I want you to tell me when you had goal on your mind. Yeah, you've probably had a few 15-second experiences yourself, really. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the best of 2020 on the GER. So Colin Kavanagh retired this year after a brilliant career with Throne. It was a bit of a surprise, really, because he had played some of the games before lockdown in the league and then retired before the championship. And obviously the championship was being run off so quickly. You know, it was a surprise to a lot of people why he wouldn't have continued on. Anyways, maybe it was just a surprise to me. Um, I don't know. Well, he joined us on the show after he announced the retirement and we got talking about his role as a, as a, as a sweeper and how teams didn't actually ever figure out how to handle him. Uh, probably actually was. I'm sure we, you're, you were nearly always waiting for somebody to do something different to throw you off your game. Now, Donegal did try it. Um, what year was it? I'm not sure of the year, but the, the, the put a big tall fella and he came running in and he stood on top of me. Right. Uh, and actually marked me in one of the, one of the championship games, um, but it didn't really pay off him that day because it, uh, like I don't know whatever way whatever guy came in, he didn't really make any runs. He sort of stood beside me, but I was still able to actually execute what I was doing because he wasn't actively trying to really run to the ball. He just ran in top of me and nearly stand beside me. Like, but I guess uh, yeah. Now it, it sort of that was probably the only one and only time where well not one and only but to be fair to Dublin like the sort of were able to play around me many today, uh, and that obviously happened when when you know in, in big days where, um, you know they were nearly they were just cute enough to be able to pull me out of position and get into scoring positions to be able to execute. So, but apart from that, like yeah, there's, there's a lot of teams just were happy enough to let me stand there, and I <laughs> I was happy enough to do it. Was it was that the day against Dublin? Was it 2017 where they beat you in the semi final where you kind of realised right? 
these lads are being too patient now. We're getting none of the turnovers we used to get. They're, you know, they're picking us off and they, like they were able yeah. to find that space. Yeah, they were like, and they were able the way they were sort of nearly probing down the wings and, you know, coming around the loops and then they were finding wee pockets in front of the D. So it was very hard for me if I was pushing out um, on that D then, you know, with left holes in behind for them to get in behind. And then if I didn't push out, they were just taking shots from the D, you know, from the top of the D and putting them over the bar and I, and I was yeah. too slow at coming out. So, uh, yeah, like I, I got found out a few times probably and, uh, and probably be, Dublin being the, the best at it in terms of being able to pick around that uh, pick around that system and obviously they've played against it numerous times and every team does it against them to try and hold them off and uh, I say they were very good at it uh, every time we went out but yeah look, we, we tried to adopt it and tried, I tried to adopt how I positioned myself and how I tried to impact it a wee bit more but to be honest more days than not I was on the wrong side of it like in terms of my, my own performance you know which sort of annoyed me a bit well, against Dublin maybe, but against most others, you you know, like that. I mean, that role worked absolutely brilliantly for Tyrone. Come here, what do you make of your all-star at full-back? Like, I mean, you're a full forward, like you say. You're a midfielder, you're a wing forward. You're an all-star full-back. What, how, what do you think of that? Like, I'm sure Sean slags you about that. Uh, no, he does. Like, but uh, it's hard. in terms of, look, you're delighted to win. I mean, from a player point of view, look, you're delighted to to pick up anything like you say, I've said to every single person I'm talking to you don't play for these awards but they are nice and you have to really yeah. cherish them so to be honest position wise I don't really care like uh, you know uh, whether right or wrong or different I'm sort of happy just to be I was happy to be there and happy to take the position obviously there was a lot of now there was a lot of stuff about it I think that year with me getting full back but there was other players on that panel on that all-star team were playing I think that got all sorts of positions that weren't playing as well so I think just the full back one for me was pretty highlighted because I was a midfielder and I wasn't a full-back like, but if yeah. you think if you look back through it, uh, there was a couple other fellas, uh, one or two in particular, that were in positions, got all sorts of positions that they weren't playing either. Like. So, look, it's the type of system where, you know, you have to be there. Be, like, the positions nowadays, don't, in my head, don't really matter like, in, in a way because, like, a cornerback can come up and kick as many points as a corner forward and, you know, the, the corner your corner forward can be as good a tackler and it's good attack in the team back in defence. So, like, you know, referring to people as individuals positions at the moment, I think it's very, very difficult because there's a lot of guys that can do it all. Yeah, so an all-star at full-back, uh, Connor. I can imagine Sean slagging him. Like, you know, he's got he's got his all-stars and Colm has one at midfield and one at full-back. I don't care what anybody says. It has to be a little bit strange. And Colm didn't go into it too much, but to have an all-star at full-back when you didn't ever play at full-back, you never had to mark anybody, which is what two... two, two Rose fullback has to do and you know it's a situation where very very surprisingly and he admits that only Donegal kind of half-heartedly sent somebody in on him so he had a free role in there gets an all-star at fullback Um, I'm not going to start getting in giving out about all-stars here now maybe not we'll talk about Colin Cabinet yeah that's definitely a debate for another day Willie the only thing I'll say is that um the, the sign that he got an all-star fullback is, is kind of a testament to how he had made that role into his own and how identifiable he was with that. But that was as much down to, as he admitted himself, that was as much down to, in a lot of cases, the opposition. You mentioned Donegal there. Like the idea, if you're going to put somebody in on a, on somebody who's minding the full-back line is to work them. And Donegal didn't work them. They just threw somebody in on him and just to, to try and distract him, but didn't have him move around the place. And actually, um, although he wasn't playing the role at the time, one of the main ones that 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 stands out to me is when Mayo put Alan Dillon on Joe McMahon in in twenty sixteen to prevent yeah. Rowan having that spare man at the back. But ultimately, Willie, like the the problem with that, and fair play to Colm, he's honest about it, is because they were playing for for playing that way for so long, 
when they played against Dublin then, who were way too cute to to fall for it, it was too late for them to change tack. And you know that 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 ultimately cost them pretty much big time in two big games against Dublin in the semi final in twenty seventeen and the final in twenty eighteen. Yeah, and like I mean, a, a few different counties are doing it now, dropping midfielders back. Donny Gall is the one that sticks out with uh, Hugh McFadden. He drops back into that. Co- it's it's it, like he should be very proud that we call it the Colum Cavan a role, I suppose, for a midfielder. But like it, it def- we I get blue in the face talking about why a team didn't send somebody in on him, and Donny Gall are sending in a midfielder just to stand beside him. You send somebody in to mark Colum Cavanagh, make a few runs. Colum Cavanagh simply has to track those runs because he's in a dangerous mm-hmm. position on the field and he can't cover. I don't. I just. Don't get it. I'm not going to labour it anymore because I've talked about it on the show um, absolutely way too much over the last few years. Um, we'll move on because the first county final took place again in another lockdown. This is a similar team, and we're still in one, Connor. I suppose um, it took place in Wexford. <laughs> let's keep the spirits up here, lads. Let's let's stay positive, right? It's very difficult for me, but we'll try and stay positive. So the first county final took place in Wexford. And obviously it was behind closed doors. And I think that was kind of at the start of these closed doors things. It was very weird. Simon Donoghue was the captain of Shell Maliers, um, you know, and he lifted the cup to just seeing a few players. We're well used to it now. You know, it's nothing major now. But that day, I just thought it was it was very unusual. Um, Simon gave us a, a good interview about, you know, you know what it was like because he had won a county title before with obviously his friends and family and the, the club supporters running onto the field. But he said an interesting thing in the speech, and I hadn't heard it in a speech before. He says, I'm not going to give Naveena three cheers because it's a bit childish. And I thought just watching it, geez, that's just fantastic. I'm going to have to give um, Simon Donahue a ring uh, tomorrow. So he joined us on the show on Monday, and here he's explaining it. Luckily, I've been in a couple of finals, and I've lost a couple in I don't like the tr- myself just this from personal I'm not a fan of the three cheers because you're after giving your all if you're after losing and all you want to, you don't want to hear a hip hip hooray kind of you're like yeah. well done you best today and thanks very much for the game kind of more so than I just felt that you said it's a bit patronising but that's, that's my opinion other people might say it's, it's nice to do for the team but look I made the decision and I have to go with it now and yeah so I think this has taken off, um, Connor. Like, I mean, Cluxton didn't do it. Declan Hannan didn't do it in the Royal Ireland speeches. I have heard it very, very little. I've seen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly sure Con- Connor Sweeney didn't do it in his speech after winning Munster. Um, so it's definitely taken off that this old-fashioned three cheers for the losing team, which is perfectly fine if you're in an under-12 under 12 county final, but grown senior in the county adults don't need to be patronised and get three cheers and make a horrible experience of losing even worse. Yeah, I, I'm, should we give Simon Donoghue the credit for this? I mean, I well, is it, can you can you remember anyone before? That's it. I, I'm like you. I, I I genuinely can't remember. And and the thing about it is, is that because it's formed a part of the uh, winner's speech for so long, it's nearly like people are expected to do it. It's nearly like you know they they don't give it a second thought. It's just something that you do is give the is give the opposition three cheers and a childish yes. What, what I would say is just it's a bit token. Um, Wooly, Wooly, you know, there's no real, there's no real genuine, there's no real genuity to it. Like you know, like. Losing losing teams might want to hear anything from the opposition, but they certainly don't want to hear something that's patronising. Um, and definitely, the 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 the, the three cheers kind of can can fall into that. And and there's often a case where some something that a, a winning captain might say to a losing team, it, like it mightn't hit home at the time, but once you have it, once you have a chance to reflect on it, you might come back and say, well, actually, fair play to him for saying that. It was from the heart, and he meant it, uh, as opposed to just giving three cheers for the sake of it. So, it, by the by the looks of it, with Declan Hannan, uh, Declan Hannan, Stephen Cluxton, Connor Sweeney seems to have taken on. So, 
fair play to Simon Dunhu and long may it continue. Yeah, I'm not sure that Aidan O'Shea, did, I don't think his speech was actually televised that day, was it? I don't remember it anyways, or maybe well, it was very It was very short because I know that he, he literally lifted the cup and then he had to he had to hand it, he had to hand it straight back afterwards. I don't think the Mayo lads even got to got to share around. So and it wasn't on I I don't know why it wasn't on TV. Was there another game after it that day? But uh, it was very, very, very short and sweet. Yeah, no, and the cabin one as well. I'm trying to think back. Anyways, um, yeah, I, w- I would do away with the speeches altogether because, like, I mean, you look at the stage now, the, the backroom teams are so big and they all have to get tanked. And then you have Declan Hannan. I saw him getting a lot of credit for his speech. I waited around for his speech. I didn't wait, wait around for Stephen Cluxton because, like, no, I'm not trying to slag Stephen Cluxton at all. That's just the way he is. He, you were never going to get a good speech out of him. But Declan Hannan then is tanking everyone and then he's tanking the frontline staff. And I was just like going, yawn. This is like, what is this? If there was a crowd in this stadium, you would be sucking the life out of them. I always find that with the, when the, the cup is lifted, everyone's jumping around. And now at the end of these modern acceptance speeches, people are just like they've, they've sucked that kind of, you know, electricity out of the crowd. And it's, it's almost like bringing your own supporters back down. Lift the bloody cup. Have the fans give a big cheer and jubilation and get the hell down and do a, a, do a, do a lap of honour. That's what, that's what I say. Like um, whether that'll happen or not. Um, I don't know, Connor. the story of the year, arguably for me, was Cavan. Um, an absolutely crazy team this year who were brilliant and brutal in their games leading up to the Ulster final. They actually were brilliant right throughout the Ulster final. Um, we spoke to Killian Clark um, about the celebrations. Again, the usual team. We're in the m- middle of a lockdown. Cavan's fans are absolutely crazy. And how they dealt um, with the celebrations. We come back through, through uh, obviously, Monaghan Town when you're coming from Armagh and through Smithsboro, and you know, there's bonfires and flags, and you know, probably people coming over from Cotill or the Monaghan side of Cavan, if you want to say, and, and meeting right. us along the road. And people, you know, droves of people kind of out in their numbers, probably just families kind of sticking together more so than anything else. Yeah. And then in through Butler's Bridge and, and the streets mobbed in Butler's Bridge a wee bit. And then, you know, we kind of convoyed into Breffley Park. Then um, we lifted the cup with, with the squad at about nine o'clock. You know, the, there's, you know, 40, 40 odd members of the, of the extended panel, obviously, that couldn't have been there. in Ama due to the restrictions, which was oh, yeah. highly disappointing from, from a player's perspective. But um, you know, we said we 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 were going to well. I think the plan was to wait to lift the cup when, until we got to Breffney. But um, you know, those, those plans were changed just by officials in in Armagh after the game. But um, every man got to lift the cup. Every man got to you know share that moment with the family. Um, only family members were allowed into the grounds itself. Close right. family members, you know, three or four people per per family. Um, I think Killian the Gunner might have had maybe twenty people because he's that many <laughs> relations in his family too. So. <laughs> there was a few more on, on his side of things, but um, yeah, we everyone got to lift the cup and share a few moments with the family and a few pictures and that on, on in, in Breffney Park, and then we got up onto a lorry and there was a drive through done. So we were on the back of the lorry for about three hours after that. I think we finished up at twelve o'clock. So they're on the back of a lorry for about three hours, Connor. I have a great picture in my head of that, and I think to be fair, it was some fantastic planning by the Cavan management or the Cavan County Board, whoever planned it, to. Obviously, had no friends, family, anyone in in Armagh to come back to Breffney Park to have the cup there to lift the cup in front of friends and family, get a few pictures, and then go on the back of a lorry and have a drive through where where fans drove past in their cars and beat the horn at them. Like I mean, that that's very very good planning. And this is from a team going in as massive underdogs going into that final. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's 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 obviously not the same as be you know them having twenty thousand Cavan people in Armagh to celebrate the the Ulster you know winning their first Ulster since I think 
in 97 was it or something like that you know 97 yeah seen but at the same time geez this is something that the the any anyone that was involved in that will look back on in years and years to come because of how unique it was and like in fairness like you talked to the, the the about how good the planning was and and who the, the Cavan County Board or whoever is responsible deserve a lot of credit for that and to be fair it was a lot more it was a lot more than a lot of teams got to do you know like to because in a lot of cases I think I mentioned it there you know Mayo won the Connacht title like Aidan O'Shea got to lift the cup and immediately had to hand it back to the Connacht Council Secretary it wasn't even a case he couldn't even he couldn't even give it to his teammates and I don't think they were allowed photos to be taken all that sort of stuff so you know I I, I know I know it wasn't much but at least that the the Cavanagh did get to celebrate with with their families and stuff like that and and just the the whole, there would have been such a novel element to being in the back of a lorry as well so like again something that they're going to look back on in in years to come and, and remember really fondly yeah a freezing element maybe Ulster just said no Ulster says no to handing back the cup well, how how did that happen that Ulster that Cavan got to keep the cup maybe was that one of the first ones no the the Connacht one was the first one yeah, anyways yeah no oh yeah yeah, I don't know how they got away. I, I don't know how they got away with that. Right, we'll leave it there, Connor. Uh, that's it for part two, and we'll come back um, for the last part three. I'd never be allowed to go off and eat a heap of shite like him, and you know, a slob or whatever. Like I was always doing a bit. I remember, all I remember is I thought I was going to get clobbered in the way in there. I threw the ball up in there. I don't know. It was, it was pure luck, no appearance. Pure luck. Ah, uh, but fucking bullshit, have you seen yourselves? All right, welcome back to the best of the GER in 2020. Um, it's not often, Connor, you get a member of the Dublin backroom team, under Jim Gavin especially, giving us some insights into their setup. We had Declan Darcy on the show. I came on the show to look back as one of those nostalgia shows back in March in that lockdown, and we're looking back at the famous Leitrim win in the 94 Connacht final. Um, obviously, that was my way in to getting Declan on the show. I just wanted to talk about Dublin. Here's, here he is. I'm joking. I'm joking to all the Leitrim fans. Here's Declan explaining, at least I think he is, explaining the famous Dublin process. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, Jim, yeah, obviously you guys have loved Jim, but, um, yeah, he wasn't a million miles off it, to be honest. And everybody was kind of thinking, ah, oh, he's only pulling that out of the hat there. And everybody was kind of just saying that. But a lot of it was. And, you know, yeah. when you think about it, you know, the players are in that bubble and they were functioning really, really well. And the exceptional bit about them was, you know, in the White Heat Championship football, well, a lot was at stake. And at any stage, you know, you're talking about two in a row, three in a row, then it was, and then the final. There was a lot of chips on the table. And a lot of pressure when it came to certain games, um, as you've seen, um, and were they able and capable of functioning correctly? And I think a lot has to do with that process piece and what it looked like to them. But don't forget, you know, it might, it might work for this particular group of players, which it did really, really well. It might work for every group of players, but it certainly was, gave us huge traction um, and actually been able to perform at the really, really key moments of the games guys didn't lose focus of what they had to do and it was a brilliant brilliant piece and then to see them executing it particularly in the All-Ireland final last year the drawing game not to, when it was a lot at stake and yeah. things not going their way they still had the mindset to still 
to function really, really well. Impressive stuff from from Declan there. Kind of get you thinking um, a little bit, Connor. And it, it sounds to me like I don't know if that's the process. It just kind of sounds like you know Jim says sticking to the process. And there's a couple of matches stand out to me when you think about right. We're not going to get panicked about losing this game. Let's just stick to trying to play well and do the things that we're good at and do all those kind of things. And I'm thinking of the Lee Keegan goal. Mm. I'm thinking about the last the last uh, injury time against Kerry going for the five in a row. Like I mean, there's there's other examples as well, especially against Mayo, I suppose, in those games. That there is no panic ever for Dublin. And do you think that this kind of thing that they're drilling into them that this actually had an effect? And this is a reason why they don't panic or they don't do stupid things. That they're not really really panicked about losing. Can you believe that players can be programmed that way? I believe that the Dublin players can be programmed that way. That's <laughs> from just because because they have the evidence to back it up. I mean, like one of the most one of the one of my most hated phrases in the GAA is "stick to the process," and it's purely because it's overused. And it's just it's this copycat culture in the GAA that, like, well, Dublin talk about sticking to the process, so we're going to stick to the process. Now, that's not to say that there's 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 nothing there's nothing of value in sticking to the process, but I think that other teams just throw it out there. You know, just 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 to be heard to be saying it and not really back it up. Whereas there is concrete evidence that Dublin do it. So, like you mentioned, there were the two examples I was thinking of: 2019 against Kerry down the stretch in the drawn game, when I think they were down to 40. Dublin were down to 14 men at that stage. Stephen Cluxton, oh, they were, yeah. Stephen Cluxton come out to mark one of the Dublin or one of the Kerry full forward lines, so so Dublin could continue to execute that press. Uh, it down the down the closing stretch when they were when they were down by a point. And Lee Keegan's obviously Lee Keegan's goal. James McCarthy came back and kicked kicked a point after that, and obviously Dean Rock eventually got the winner. But the the manner of a couple of the manner of the scores that they got in that Mayo game, for example, they could have been scoring that when they were five points up in the first half, as opposed to being in the yeah. minute with a point down. And I think when I say that I believe the Dublin players can be programmed that way, I haven't seen evidence or much evidence of any other teams, especially in football. That can that can do that, and that can that can nearly they nearly have set plays, or are nearly so sure of themselves that they don't get affected by emotion the way that other teams do. So that that's they have evidence to support what Declan Darcy, who to be fair to him, I hate the term, but he explained it really well there. He did actually, and like I mean, it's like them having ice in their veins, and it must have worked. Now I do I do think that that Kerry um, last or injury time was almost helter skelter. Was almost like either we do, you know, it it was almost yeah. manic. I don't know if that was really necessarily. I th- I think all all bets had gone out the window at that stage. It was almost just like Jesus. We just simply have to. It was survival kind of instincts kicked in with Dublin that time. But I'm I'm thinking of the James McCarthy point. I think it was directly after that Lee Keegan goal back in 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 that game, and it was like. He sent that out on his wrong side, maybe, mm. I don't know, two metres to the wrong side of the post and brought it back in. This was like something you do in training before yeah. a match. Like this is, this, you know, like, I mean, uh, definitely drill. This is sports psychology, I suppose, that Darcy and Jim Gavin are doing rather than, you know, necessarily anything tactical. Yeah, you, you, you could say it was, you could say it was because James, James McCarthy is such a quality player and you'd rely on him in that situation. But I would have fancied... I would have fancied the vast majority of the Dublin team to do the exact same thing and to have the confidence the, to do the exact same thing because they've been drilled to do that, to rely on their skills and rely on, you know, to have that composure, whether it's, as I said, like a, a the first half of a Leinster Championship game when they might be cruising by 10 points or the 17th minute of an All-Ireland final. And so while while other counties can can talk about sticking to process and stuff like that, it's it's that it's the it's that execution of it when it really matters that they that they really have to aspire to and 
I, I don't know, like I've 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 yet to see that in, in, in any team really beyond Dublin. So I think while I might dismiss it when other teams say it, when, when Dublin people talk or Dublin players talk about sticking to the process, they have you know they have the evidence to back it up. Yeah, they definitely have. So Waterford had a brilliant year under Liam Kyle. Obviously, they reached the All-Ireland final. Um, he made some brave calls when he took over, as is well documented now. He dropped two All-Stars without even giving him a trial match. One of them, Morris Shanahan, uh, joined, us, joined us on the show not long after um, he was dropped. And he had a brilliant club campaign and he filled us in on how it happened. When you rang me, I was on a side with home Wexford, to be honest, on uh, <laughs> evening. So. Do you remember the phone call? I can remember it just about to be honest with you, but look, he just said there's no hash, there's no reasons really. To be honest, he couldn't, he didn't give us a reason to be honest with you. He just said myself and Noel are gone off the panel, and he said there could have been, there could be one or two more, but it didn't work out like that. It was just myself and Noel, the two that got the bullet, I suppose, and maybe from the backlash, because there was a small bit of backlash in Waterford at the time, that it was just the two of us, maybe he didn't go through with the others, but we'll never know that. But. Right, right. And he said he was said that you were both respectful when they rang him up. Like, did you question him on anything? Or what were you, like, I suppose you're at the stag, so you're probably trying to get off the phone rather than keep the conversation going. Yeah, to be honest, I suppose, it was, kind of took me back, to be honest with you. If I'm not being, if, to be honest, Colin, do you know, because, yeah just for the two of us to go and then in a week or two later you, you hear the 50 lads in their training getting a trial and all this and myself and all after giving so much we did to offer that we didn't even get a chance to prove ourselves to Liam even if yeah. we were in there five or six weeks and he turned around and said look lads you're not up to it you couldn't you couldn't argue with the man I suppose but look I suppose like every manager has their way to play but we, we, we'll see now over the next few months that he get it right as well. So, like, I mean, I'm trying to make sense of it. For So for hurling reasons, uh, look, I, I'm not Liam Cal and he's got he's his own man and he knows the type of players he wants. I wouldn't see the hurling reasons. I'm, You know, there was a lot of rumours coming out of Porrick Fanning's squad last year and rumblings with players. Like, I mean, did that involve you and Noel, for example? Like, is that something Liam could have heard about and maybe not wanted you in for different reasons outside of hurling? Yeah, I suppose. Look, I suppose last year with Paulie, there's a lot of talk outside the county that um, a lot of players aren't happy in this. But I was inside the camp, and no one kind of no one kicked up to be honest with you, Colin. You know, no one kind right. of questioned the way people were saying it either. Like you know, rumours yourself, and people had legs to stuff. And to be honest with you, as players, last year we had to take a lot of criticism as well, and. Like, I don't think I don't think Liam could say Demi Seth and Noel were causing trouble in that inside in that camp because we definitely didn't to be honest with you. Right, okay. So like I mean yeah, there's not there, do, do you have any theory on why yourself and Noel went? Like I presume you're in contact with each other after it happened and stuff. Like I mean, have you any theory on it without being any way critical of Liam because he's his own decisions his own decision to make, have you got a theory on where it could have come from or what you know happened? No. I actually don't because to be honest like for Liam to come in and just get rid of two players that's like you say something to you as a waterman and came in because he'd be at all the water games you know he'd be at all the club games yeah you see he has Waterford, he has Waterford selectors though doesn't he yeah he, he does you know he has two selectors from Waterford one is from Ballygunner and one is from uh, Bayduff Upper so I don't so know is there anything, yeah you don't know is there anything in that potentially 
the two I didn't know be rivalry clubs to myself and Noel, but I wouldn't think I wouldn't think anything came out of that either, to be honest, but you never know. I just find it very hard for a man to come in from Tipperary and just get rid of two lads. I got a bit obsessed with this story at the time, Connor. Like I was like, Liam Cal's making a big mistake here. Like especially with the the Boris Shanahan one, especially in the club form he was in. What do I know, anyways? Like I mean, obviously Liam Cal had his own plans and his own style of play, and maybe the lads didn't fit in. But Morris is definitely it's, it's a head scratcher with Morris at the time. He was very honest in the interview, um, and he like even asking him, "Were you a problem the year before? You were you were Noel." And he's like, no, we weren't. There weren't even that many problems. You know, like according, according to him, it's it's definitely a weird one. And I had to laugh when he talked about the Waterford selectors being from Ballygunner and Ballyduff yeah. Upper, his local rivals of him and Noel. Like, you know, I just laughed. And, you know, who knows what happened? But it wouldn't be without precedent for selectors from a rival club to say, look, he's yeah. only trouble. You couldn't have done more to get to the bottom of why he was. <laughs> I'll give you that to be fair, listening back to the day this morning and, and even getting Morris to admit that he was on a stag when he received the call and fair play to Morris for admitting that as well. And listen, you'd like to think that the selectors being involved in rival clubs had nothing to do with it. I, I just, uh, yeah, I'm, all, I'm only slagging about that. Like One of the beauties of, I, I suppose, of being an outside, an outside manager like Liam Cal is that and I'm sure, you know, whether Liam Callow would, wouldn't be afraid to make big calls, even if he was, you know, involved with his native Tipperary. But you can make calls like that without having to worry maybe about the ramifications within your own club. But listen, Liam Callow can look back in the season. Waterford had a brilliant season, didn't go well for them in the final. So he can, you know, he can be happy with the decision he's made. But I I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge hurling man, but I'm still not. I, I'm still not convinced that it was necessarily the right one. As I said, like they whatever about deciding to do it after maybe giving them a chance, given what they've done. And especially after Morris Shannon's club form, but to do it beforehand, it was nearly like he was saying, well, I have to make a statement here and this is how I'm going to do it. These lads have been a part of the panel for so long. And if I cut these, this show yeah. the rest of the panel that like no senior players are safe. So listen, as I said, Liam Gallas had the season he's had, he can be happy with it, but I don't know if I was Morris or Noel, I'd still maybe be a little bit aggrieved. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I still disagree with it. But of course, after the year Waterford had, you have to just keep your mouth shut and say nothing or else. Yeah. <laughs> you've, definitely been, you've definitely been proved wrong. Right, to finish up um, with the best of uh, one of my favourite interviews this year is with Seamus Flanagan, who spoke to us very recently after Limerick's All-Ireland win. I have to say the Limerick fellas, when you see them being interviewed, Garoud, Hegarty or any of them really, they don't tie themselves in knots trying to be cagey. They just speak naturally. Um, you know, they, they they don't have any of that kind of media training. They don't look to have anyways. Um, um, they seem to speak kind of off the cuff and whatever they think. Here's Seamus telling us about making it back onto the team, obviously this year for the All Ireland semi final. I think I started out the season. Um, we were, which we had we had the, the the trips abroad and stuff, and we came back in and we were rolling straight back into league. And I think I kind of struggled to find my form again in 2019. Right. Um, I was, I was, I think it was just all, there was no pre-season as such. It was a case of, we came back from our team holiday and it was straight back into training. Um, and it was, it was very much a case of that, you know, it, once you, you needed to hit the ground running and that didn't really happen for me. And I remember I rolled my ankle twice. Um, I did the hamstring. I came on against Cork, I think in the first round, they beat us and I did my hamstring and we were after using our last sub. So I had to stay on. So that obviously aggravated that more. Right. Um, and then it was it was just kind of a series, I think, of a, a culmination of things. And um, to be honest, uh, so uh, yeah, I just struggled to find form. 
Um, and when it, you, you say impact sub, I don't think I really made much of an impact in 2019. And not getting to come on in the in the, in the semi final then was a massive, I think, uh, driving force for me to push on in 2020. Um, and the way things that panned out then, obviously, you know, we weren't sure if there was a championship going to go ahead, but I really carried that form through into the club. And, you know, we went to a county semi-final only to be beaten by a point by Napiershig. Um, so I was, yeah, I just kind of carried that form through. And I was just kind of, I, I think I went back to my old roots in 2018 and, you know, that kind of youthful, carefree and, you know, let's do everything to the best of our, our ability and not really think too much about things. Right, yeah, maybe. And that definitely showed when you came on. Like, were you surprised to get the start then against Galway? Because, uh, like, I was predicting it on the show based on how well you did against Dahi Burke. Um, you know how intimidating a, a player he can be that you ran him around in 2018. I was thinking maybe that would be a great game for you to start again. Were you expecting that call-up? No, I wasn't. And I only kind of found, I suppose, Kylie keeps his, his cards close to his chest. And, um, you know, you don't really know where you stand as regards team bases. Um, but I was just thinking to myself, look, the boys won the Munster final in, against Watford. Um, you know, it's very hard to change a winning team. So I was prepping myself for, you know, coming on for those last 15, 20 minutes um, and just making it, that impact that I had been making with it, with it throughout the season. And um, that's, that, that's where I was mentally. Um, and I think on the Tuesday night then, we usually run through a few, kind of a 15 on 15 and, you know, you it's, it's, it's only 15 minutes towards the end of it. And I remember he was calling out the teams and, I remember he had called Dara at midfield with Will and I was like, oh, Keane got to centre forward again for, the, for this game because he'd switched back the week before. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's the change. And kind of, I, I think I said to one of the lads, I kind of zoned out and I looked up into the into the stand and, you know, the catering company had come in and the food was getting set up for after. And I was like, oh, what, you know, what, 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 could, we be ha- what could we be having today? Is it curry or is it stew? <laughs> um, and then all I heard was Aaron Galan and Seamus Flanagan. And I looked over and I was like, that, that's, a, that's a mistake. Surely that's a mistake. So I remember I went out in that session and I think I was on Dan Morrissey and I think I popped one tree off Dan and just absolutely was like, right, if, if, even if this is you know him trying something or something, I was like, oh, let's put the thought in his head. So that night went well for me. And then on the Friday came and you know I was named as starting foot forward. So absolutely over the moon. And as I said, I think the nerves probably kicked in then for me being like I needed to, to you know see my position. And luckily I did and things kind of panned out the way that they did. I have to say, like, I mean, Seamus Flanagan, it's an inspirational story of sticking with it, having a really bad year last year, coming back, still not getting back on the team, sticking it in there, sticking in there, you know, and eventually getting his chance, playing brilliantly in the semi-final and brilliantly in the final. Like, I mean, it's a great story. That's not what I want to focus on here, though. And like, obviously, Seamus Flanagan, I've said it a lot of times on the show. Um, I really like him as a player. What I want to understand, what I want to talk about is when he's waiting for the teams to be called out in the A versus B match, he's he's standing waiting for the team to go, get called out. He thinks he's going to be called out on the B team. The A team is being called out. He's dreaming. He's looking up into the stand wondering, are they going to have stew or curry that night? That's what I I, I, I have to admit. I, I absolutely knew exactly where he was coming from. The amount of times I've daydreamed about what will be in there for us to eat after this training <laughs> session. <laughs> I'd say his nutritionist didn't or the Limerick nutritionist didn't probably thank him because I don't well I don't know maybe they are and it doesn't matter what you eat after training but I would have thought that there's far more healthier stuff to be eaten than stew or curry but uh, you, you must be joking a good stew are you for real less than bacon and cabbage that's what we you'd be reared on that's back in the 90s Wally we're, we're talking about the 2020 here come on I'm healthy about a stew I'm spuds, not... vegetables and meat and a bit of gravy a bit of I... stew sauce I'm not saying it's unhealthy Wally I'm saying that if you go to uh, inter-county players diet sheet these days I doubt it features as prominently as it would have done with bacon and cabbage back in the day that's all I'm, that's all I'm saying 
Right, okay, I'll give you the curry, man. But look, at, at these lads burn so many calories oh, during training. It's not too... Once once they're getting the carbohydrates into them afterwards, um, you know, that's the most important thing. And the spuds and the rice with the curry or whatever. Like, I mean, they're in my experience, they're the type of dinners that you get when you come back in. But, like, I mean, it just shows how important... Like, I mean, that's something I completely related to straight away is about the caterers coming in and what are you going to get and will it be nice? Like, I remember the one that, thing that kind of jumped out to me was how pissed off Rio Ferdinand got when David Moyes came in and he banned his chips yeah, yeah, yeah. Rio Ferdinand a grown man was really pissed off like I mean this this post-match meal especially after training because I suppose when you come up through the club scene you never get it and it's lovely then when you're in the county what you know geez that was nice now tonight <laughs> I don't know like I mean daydreaming about what's on the menu after training I just I think this is very very common to, to the extent Rio Ferdinand that time that when Ryan Giggs came in as caretaker care manager was the first thing he asked him and then they got their chips back. So He reinstated the chips, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. You can see how much of a big deal it was. But uh, I whatever about the food, well, it's only very rarely that we get treated to, to food after training. But I can relate to, to, to Seamus' story about, you know, when, say if, if I was playing in the full back line or half back line and you hear your name, and then it's like, right, you're on the team and you zone out completely. And then you're walking out oh, yeah. the dressing room door and you have to ask somebody, oh, geez, uh, who's playing wing forward? Or, or you start the game and you realize that somebody isn't starting. Yeah. Like, geez, I didn't know that know that at all. So it very it is very easy to, to daydream in situations like that, for sure. Oh, the, the, yeah, the minute your name is called out, any name after that it will be forgotten immediately. Then it's just daydream time. You're in the mix and and uh, and that's it. I remember with Portlaoise in 2004, there must have been a few quid going because we'd never get food after training. But we were in the... We won the Leinster club final and we're in the All-Ireland semi-final and they, they used to get us pizzas after training, you know, and we'd all go into the kitchen in the clubhouse. The old clubhouse is gone now and we'd eat the pizza. I found it a great... Eating food together after training because you know the feeling in the shower, Connor, after a hard training session. There's a bit of bonding even will go on in, on in the shower. You know, like, I mean, you've, you've all gone through that together. There's a nice bit of closure for teams to eat together after a hard training session, I don't, I don't, I don't think club teams put enough emphasis. Even if it's just a few sandwiches or a bit of soup, I think fellas let down their guard after a really hard training session. I don't know, maybe, God. maybe it might be just for me. I just think that any club should really look into keeping them together for that half hour after a good training session because I think that's when the, the, you know, a bit of crack, a bit of bonding actually happens. Yeah, ye pampered lads with your pizzas in Port Leash, Willie. We, uh, <laughs> we we had it a few years ago where we took it in turns. Um, a player would have to make sandwiches uh, every after. I think it was every Friday night session because there'd be lads down, lads down from college and stuff like that, whereas they mightn't be around during the week. And every Friday night, a player would take it in turns and make a, you know, maybe buy three loaves and make a, a lock of sandwiches. And so, so it just it just gets everybody. We had an area uh, upstairs in our clubhouse as well, and we gather for 20, 25 minutes as well. And and the thing is like. You know, sometimes after training, the management might call you in for some sort of chat anyway. So rather than sitting in the dressing room, you were doing it above, you know, you were doing it above where everyone was gathering. They were having their sandwiches and then you have the bit of crack, as you say, afterwards, you know, get the bit of camaraderie going and stuff. But as long as the only thing I'll say in that is as long as this training session or any meetings or anything like that hasn't lasted for two and a half or three hours already. And then you're looking at spending maybe another half an hour above. But I but I completely agree. It's, I think it's really good for for kind of building teamwork or, you know, building a kind of team ethic and a team bond and stuff like that. And it's just, it's, it's a pity. It's probably not possible at the moment with everything that's going on, but once everything is back to normal, hopefully this will lead the charge to get it going again and maybe late 2021, 20, 2022. 
Yeah, exactly right. Well, that's it, Connor. That's it for the for the best of the big question, I suppose, is who going into twenty twenty one can anyone stop Limerick or Dublin uh, Limerick from uh, retaining their title? Dublin go for seven row. I would be of the opinion no is the answer. So I, mean, I don't know if that's the kind of a, a, a depressing uh, way to leave the show. I'm sure you're that you've been the dreamer that you are. Will say it's Mayo for Sam again. You're just relentless, you boys. <laughs> well, I was like that before the final, Willie. But then, like with a, with a tinge of realism, realizing that it was probably not going to happen, and that's how it panned out. But yeah, listen, if if we don't have, if we can't dream, you know what's the what's the point? You know, there's there's no point, especially at the start of the season. You know. Um, you know, bring yourself to the realization that it's probably not going to happen for you. But if you were to ask me that question, can anyone stop Limerick or the Dubs? And I was to give you one word, it would be no in 2021. <laughs> okay, two no's. We'll leave it at that. We'll talk to everybody next week. Good luck. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So it opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. I let it go.